If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, pull that out if you would, turn it on, and join me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was the voice uh, spokesperson for God during uh, the time when God's people um, were not really living in obedience to God. And so God used Jeremiah in many ways to communicate his words to his people. We're going to look at Jeremiah 29 in a moment, but before we do a couple things, um, later this afternoon, um, I'm having a meeting with our living community pastors and, and leaders, and I just want to say a big thanks to them. Um, there, we have seven living communities around the city, and these people give up their time. They open up their homes. They teach. They pray. They prepare. They do all these different things for you, for the church. And, and we might have 130, 140 on a Sunday morning, but through our living communities, we're reaching over 200 people. Um, with the gospel, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so we're a different kind of movement in that way. We put a lot of emphasis on our living communities, and that's the church. We're the church, right? This is just a, a service. This is a gathering of the church coming together to celebrate God. And I, I just wanted to say thank you to our living community pastors, to those who lead Mount Auburn, Dave and Autumn, and um, Southgate Community, that's Brennan and Bree, and Robin Janie Myers, that's Anderson, that's uh, Jody and Dee Dee Hilscher, John and Carol Vandermeer, myself and my wife Andrea, that's Taylor Mill with uh, Tim and Lisa Stankin who are unable to be here with us, that's Independence with Herb and Sherry Valentine and Mallory and their family, um, and Covington, Joe Aprilli who just got married yesterday, and, uh, and Aubie or Abby, Abby Aprilli, I was trying to put the two words, her new last name together, with Joseph Dickens and Kyle Ackerson, um, I should have counted on my fingers, who am I missing? Oh, yeah, new one, uh, Nor Thomas, led by Chris Collin, Victoria, and uh, Matt and Aubrey Duggar, so, and our, our vision is to see more of these living communities multiplying throughout the city for the purpose of bringing glory to God, and the purpose of reaching more people with the gospel, um, so I just wanted to say a big thank you to them, and if you're engaged with the living community, say thank you if you would. Send a note, give them a hug, whatever. Just let them know you appreciate them because I do. And the movement of Living Church, what God's doing doesn't happen um, without these people who give of their time to serve Jesus Christ. Um, and there's so many others, the guys that lead the, the worship every week. And, and Jason's right. It's all volunteers, people giving their time, set up, living kids. We'll hear them later, right? Hear them now. Um, all those different people that just give of their time. It's the church. People, it, this is the church, being the church, and we do this for one purpose, let's bring honor and glory to God. Um, so a big thank you um, to all those that serve um, the Living Church family in a mighty way. Second thing I want to talk to you about, which I'm excited about, is the little white sheet of um, paper there on your seat that you found. Next Sunday morning, we are not gathering here, as Jason said, we're not meeting here in this place, um, but we are in a unique kind of way gathering, um, but not together, if you will. Um, it's a first ever event for us as Living Church. It's a prayer walking event, and it's going to happen right outside your home. Um, so we're not all coming to your home, so it's okay. Um, but what's going to happen is, and my hope and my vision and my prayer is that next Sunday morning, all of us will take part in this. And at 1030 in the morning, and it's all explained on here, we will walk out of our homes at 1030 in the morning next Sunday morning, right where we live, and we will just begin to walk our neighborhoods. And together, you as a family, your roommates, whatever, right where you live, um, just maybe you and your family, what, just walk in your neighborhood and praying, praying for your neighbors right there. I'm guessing many of them might be outside and they might, you might get to meet some new neighbors for the first time um, or whatever. Maybe you want to find a different street in the city, wherever you want to go. Um, but the purpose of this is to pray for our city, to pray for the gospel 
to be made known, for Christ to be made known. Our mission is to know Christ, live Christ, make Christ known, and we want to ask God to make that happen, and we cannot do this without Him. It's going to take Him to change and transform this city for His name, for His glory. Because we sang about it. He's the God of the city, the peace to the restless, and, and the light in the darkness. And we need to call on him. So I just imagine all of us, if you will, next Sunday morning, 1025, getting together in our homes and praying and asking God to bless our time as we just go for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, walking through the streets of our neighborhood. All of us live in, I mean, we re, living churches represented throughout all of Cincinnati. We have people in Norwood. We have people in Independence. We have people on the east side, west side, all over. So pretty much the entire greater Cincinnati area as far as going to be covered in prayer next Sunday morning if we participate in this. And so here's what we want you to do. We want you to do this. If you don't know how to pray, just talk to God. That's basically what it is, all right? So just step out your door and start praying for your city, praying for your neighbors specifically at 1030. And then when you have completed your your prayer walking, we've created a, a Facebook event page. What we want you to do is we want you to go on this event page and we just want you to list the street name that got prayed for or the street names. We want to take a picture all right, of the street sign, you can that God pray for. And, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing through the prayers of his people for our city. And so I really want to encourage us to do that. I'll share, my message this morning is kind of wrapped around this. Um, and so hopefully um, through the teaching this morning, you'll see the significance of why it's important for us to be praying to the Lord for our city. Um, so that's coming up. If you have questions about that, we'll post more during the week on the Facebook page. But next Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m., right where you live, step out your front door and just start praying. Walk in the streets of where you live. Um, take the family, pull the strollers out, whatever you need to do, and just start asking God to break through um, in our neighborhoods and throughout our city. So that's happening next Sunday morning um, at 10.30. So don't come here. Stay home, but stay home and be the church in your neighborhood praying for those people that you live next to. If God wanted to transform our city, if he wanted to bring healing and restoration and redemption and reconciliation and peace and unity to our city, how would he do it? How would he do it? The past couple Sundays, we've heard a couple stories. Um, One from Herb Valentine shared his story of how Jesus has radically transformed his life. And then last Sunday, we heard Andrew Bishop share his story of how Jesus has radically transformed his life and made him new. And both these guys talked about how God brought into their lives different people, how God sent Maureen Earl Holmes into Herb's life, right, to, to show him the gospel and to share with him the gospel. And then for Andrew, Andrew shared several names. One was a youth pastor, Matt Holleran. And these guys were just, they weren't, I mean, Earl Holmes was a Marine. He's just doing his job, right? And he gets to know Herb. And then Matt Holleran, he's a youth pastor. He's just loving on kids. And, and this morning, I want us to hear another story, another story of transformation that took place actually last Sunday morning while Andrew was sharing his story. And so I'm going to ask Andrew and I'm going to ask Lee if they would come, and they're going to share a little bit of what God did last Sunday morning. Now, in talking to Lee, you guys, there's a microphone right there, fellas, to use that. In talking to Lee last Sunday, um, Lee has never been to a living community, living church, living community, never been to a living church Sunday gathering uh, other than last Sunday, right? And in fact, hadn't been to a church gathering, church service in years. So um, they're going to share a little bit about what God has been doing in his life and what God did last Sunday. So go ahead, guys, share if you would. All right. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Uh, Check, check. Can you guys hear me all right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, So as Pastor Mark said, I shared last week uh, just a little part of my testimony. And ironically, I wasn't supposed to share last week. I was supposed to share the week before. uh, But due to a couple things, God works in mysterious ways, right? I happened to share last week, which was the week that Lee was able to come here. 
And I shared several different stories, several different people that impacted my life through my journey. Um, and, and one situation in particular was I went to Steak and Shake with a buddy of mine, actually two buddies of mine, a, a friend of mine going through a divorce, um, just a real hard situation. And uh, we were at Steak and Shake praying with him, uh, just sharing the word with him. And unfortunately, you know, nothing changed. The, the divorce went through, and it, it was a real, real ugly situation. But the waitress at Steak and Shake noticed uh, that we were praying and sharing got the gospel, and she was going through a rough patch in her life. She was going through an eviction. Um, she had been, she's been working doubles at Steak and Shake, uh, just picking up extra hours, didn't have money for groceries. And long story short, I reached out to a church in Florence, and because it was the Steak and Shake in Florence, and they were able to connect with her, uh, provide her groceries, and now she's uh, going actively going to church and pursuing Christ. And so uh, she hadn't been to church, and she said, in about half a dozen years. And, and so she, God has just worked through her life and, and just recovering her. And so um, transitioning into that, uh, sharing that story and other stories of how, you know, if you're rooted in Christ, storms will come. And you'll be shaken a little bit, but ultimately, if you have that foundation in Christ, you'll be all right. Um, and so I'll, I'll pass it to Lee. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. All right. As you all know, I'm Lee. This is my fiance, Kayla, sitting over here. Um, we're new here, of course. Um, well, where do we start? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, basically, I grew up in church, and like Andrew spoke of last week, um, I got to learn who God was, but I didn't really know him. You know, I just was a Sunday Christian, let's put it that way. Um, and I got to know who he was and uh, just didn't actually get to know God. And then um, I kind of lost my way through some deployments with the Army and uh, just fell away from him. Well, over the last few months, um, my fiance and I, we've hit a pretty rough patch and um, was reaching out everywhere we could, couldn't find any help, couldn't find peace for anything. And uh, Rachel Pladek, I'm, she goes here as well, um, she actually works with me and she started talking to me about church, which I believe that God puts people in our lives for a reason. And um, I believe Rachel's one of them. Uh, immediately she found out we was having a hard time feeding ourselves, finding a place to stay, and she jumped into action, providing food, providing whatever she could immediately. And then uh, she brought us here, you know, and um, I really couldn't put up a fight at that point. I was like, whatever, <laughs> let's do something. <laughs> so uh, we showed up here and I listened to Andrew speak and uh, let's say like 98% of the things he re said resonated <laughs> with me. And, um, you know, it actually, I, I had all this weight on my shoulders and it made me feel like this was just the place to dump it, you know, just get rid of it and let God take back over and see what happens. And um, so Andrew and Mark and I, we, we prayed, and I, I spoke to God, and I asked him to give us peace and, you know, help us out. And we was actually basically homeless, went through an eviction and no money or anything. And in a week, God has provided us with furniture and a house and food and Andrew and a new church. So <laughs> we're happy about that, you know. Um, God is good, and we realize that. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to come up here and share everything, you know, like, uh, like I said, it took a week for him to give us a house and uh, extra shifts at work for the money. And, you know, the church helped us provide food. And upon waiting for the uh, waiting for the apartment to get finished, the church somehow 
came up with enough to put us in the hotel for a couple nights. So we will actually want to say thank you to you guys too, because we would have been on the streets for sure. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think to on, on yeah yeah a round of applause. <laughs> And one thing to add that about God places you where you are for a reason, uh, what street did you end up on? I'm on Lee Street, which <laughs> is my name, of course. Um, on top of that, though, um, like I was saying about God putting people in our lives for a reason, um, Kayla and I was actually looking at a house down in Latonia, was uh, rent-to-own, which we thought we'd be able to do. And uh, the guy that owned it crunched the numbers, and he called us back and said, can't put you in the house. But uh, turns out he's a good Christian man, and uh, he said, I do have this apartment that I can put you in immediately. And that's where we are now. So, like I said, I believe God puts people in our lives for a reason, and uh, he can work fast or he can work slow, but you just got to believe he's working, you know. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, he actually has been teaching me to trust him. I think he's been playing games with me, you know, because uh, <laughs> he, he gets me in a situation where like, he just gets me enough worried, and then he's like, gotcha, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he pulls us back, so. So we've learned to trust him and just uh, give everything over, um, give everything over to him. And, you know, like I said, God is great and he works, works miracles every day. You just have to pay attention. So. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys, for sharing. Appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and though on a little bit of a darker side of things, um, we would like to ask you all to keep us in our prayers. Kayla, actually, she lost her mother last night. Um, so we would like you guys to pray for us and, you know, we're trying to let God handle it for us. You know, we know that there is a plan and he will be glorified in one way or another. And, uh, we're just praying that we can get through it together. You know? So Amen. thank you guys. Yeah. Amen. Andrew, would you mind just praying for them and praying for yeah. Kayla too? Heavenly father, uh, we just thank you for, um, the opportunity to, to come here and, and to share, and to just speak life. And Father, we just pray that um, you can provide healing, uh, and restoration uh, on, on the hearts and, and families affected um, by Kayla's mother's passing. And we just pray that you just work in us, give us peace, calm our hearts, calm our spirits. Father, draw us closer to you uh, through all of this. And we thank you for the beautiful testimony that, that Lee shared um, about how you're able to work through multiple people in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. And Father, I just pray that you would just open all our eyes and ears just a little bit more so we can see and hear you um, and the things that you do every day for your glory, Father. So give us understanding and wisdom um, as the next couple days might be a journey and a struggle, Father. But I just ultimately pray for peace and healing. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Why is it important to hear stories like this? Why, why is it important to hear stories like Herb's testimony of Jesus changing his life and then Andrew and then hearing Lee and what God has done? Why is that important? Let, let me tell you why I think it's important. I, I believe it's important because it reveals to us that God is still working and moving today. That God is at work today. God has a desire to change and transform people's lives today. It's not just something that we read about in the Old Testament. It's not just something that happened in the first century. 
God is alive and at work right now, right where we are, right where we work, right where we live. And I think it's important for us to continue to celebrate those stories and to hear those stories because just as God has sent sent Earl Holmes into Herb's life and Matt Holleran and then Rachel Plattick, right, working together. She's just at work and getting to know you and, and others and people's lives. God has sent you into someone's life, and maybe you don't even know them yet, but God has sent you give, and given us as a church and as a people a purpose and a mission to follow. And if God wanted to transform our city, if he wanted more Lee stories, if he wanted more Herb stories, more Andrew stories, more your story, more my story, how would he do it? He would do it no different than how he has always done it. He would do it no different than how he has always done it, which is he would send his people to live among a people who need him, and they would then would seek the peace of the city together as his people praying for the city. Join me in Jeremiah 29 because I want to look at this because just quickly I want, I want to share some observations as to if God wanted to transform your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, our city, how would he do it? He would do it no different than how he did it back in 586 B.C., with his people. Follow along Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 7. It says this, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Stop there, quick background story. God's people, people of Judah, they weren't living in obedience to God, so God, to discipline them, said, I'm going to bring evil Nebuchadnezzar into town. He's going to basically wipe you guys out to some degree, but he's going to carry many of you as exile slaves back into his home city of Babylon, and there you're going to live for 70 years, 70-year captivity. That's kind of the backstory. So these guys, basically King Nebuchadnezzar starting to rule kind of like a little Napoleon coming around, coming into town and taking over everything. And he's like, I'm taking you and I'm taking a bunch of you with me back to my city, back to the city of, De- of Babylon. And there you're going to be my slaves. You're going to live in exile. You're going to live in captivity. That's the backstory. Verse 2, this was after King Joachim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar takes all the stuff, he ransacks the temple of God in Jerusalem, takes a ton of the stuff out of the temple in Jerusalem to put into his own temple to all his gods in Babylon. And he takes all these craftsmen and artisans and all these leaders of God's people with him. Verse 3, he entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, now here's a letter that Jeremiah is delivering to the people that are the exiles living in the city of Babylon. Okay, they're under the rule. It'd be like king of Atlanta coming, it's about four, Babylon is about 400 miles away from Jerusalem. So it'd be like Atlantic, if Atlanta had a king, King Atlanta comes in to King Cincinnati, wipes us out, takes a bunch of us back to Atlanta, we have to live in the airport. If you've ever been to Atlanta airport, you know that would be slavery, right? I mean, that'd be... It'd be captivity, all right? So much worse than that situation, but hopefully that puts some frame of reference around this. Okay, so God sends a letter through Jeremiah to the people that are living in his people that are now settled in in theirs, captives in Babylon, and this is what God says to them. He says, verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Check this out. He says, build houses and settle down. (laughs) 
build houses and settle down. Not like settle down, like calm down. Like settle down, like live there. Live there. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A couple observations as it relates to if God wanted to transform our city, your neighborhood, where you live, your workplace, how would he do it? He would do it this way. God will transform a city, a people, by sending his people into the city to live as missionaries of the city. He would send his people into the city to live as missionaries in the city. That's what he would do. That's what he's doing. Check this out. God is the one who sent them there. Look at what he says in verse, uh, in verse 4. He says, to all those, I'm saying this to all those who carried them into exile. God did. God said, I carried you into exile. I'm the one who has put you there. And then in verse 7, he says it again. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. If you go down to verse 20, look at what he says. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom, who sent them? I have sent them. God is the one who has sent his people into the city of Babylon. He's the one that sent them there, and he used King Nebuchadnezzar to do it. He used him, King Nebuchadnezzar, to get his people into the city of Babylon. And then what's he tell them to do? While they're there, he says, I just want you to live. I want you to build houses. I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat the produce. I want you to hang out. I want you to work there. I want you to just live. I've sent you there, and I want you to live as my people there. That does not mean you do the sins of the city. All right? It doesn't mean we, we get... We, to become one with the city, we engage in the sins of the city because there were four young guys who were part of this exile group. Do you know their names? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were four fellows that were in Jerusalem that were sent, part of the exile team, if you will, into the city of Babylon. Amazing storm getting goosebumps right now of what's going to happen and how God's going to use those four fellows to transform a city. It's coming. Just hold on. It's pretty awesome stuff. And so God sends his people into, people of his, from Jerusalem into the city of Babylon. And he says, I want you to just live there. I want you to just settle down, be my people in that city. And you're going to be there, he tells them, for 70 years. So it's like, we're here. It's a lifetime, right? I mean, we're going to be here for 70 years, and I want you to settle down there. The language that God uses here is similar to the language Peter uses in 1 Peter 2.11. Listen to what he says. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, as exiles, foreigners in the world, because we know if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is not our home, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, the city of God. I mean, that's our home if you're a follower of Jesus. So you're still here because God wants you here because you have a mission here for him. And so this is not our home if you're a follower of Jesus. Heaven is our home. His presence is our home. But he's saying, so while you're here, I urge you as aliens and strangers and exiles in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Similar language coming up from what we see in Jeremiah 29. Live such good lives among the pagans, people that don't know Jesus, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. So here you have God sending his people to live as his people in the city of Babylon 
600 years later, or a little bit more than 600 years later, Peter's telling the church to do the same thing. Do the same thing. And then he says, although it would seem like Nebuchadnezzar is the one who took God's people to get him into the city, God said, no, I sent you there. I put you there. And you need to live as missionaries there. And this is exactly, Jesus modeled this, right? Jesus was a missionary. Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me. Jesus comes into our world, lives among us, eats the food, plays with our toys, does all these different things, works, gets to know all these people, right? He's just living. He's a carpenter's son. I mean, he's just there. He's just living. He lives, comes, the Father sent him to live among us. John 1.14 says this, the word, referring to Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us. He made his habitation here. He dwelt among us. So you have Jesus modeling this, and then you have Jesus doing the same thing with his own disciples. Luke chapter 10 tells us that Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples. Where did he send them? Into the city, into the towns, into the homes, into the neighborhoods. And he said, I want you to pray for the people, because he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And I love the next phrase, says, go. You're the answer to your own prayer. Don't wait for someone else to love your neighbor. They're your neighbor for a reason. So, so got, Jesus is saying, listen, I was sent, so now I'm sending you. So if you are here and you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a missionary. You cannot separate the two. They're one and the same. You've been sent. As one guy said, your life is a mission trip because you've already been sent by Jesus. So that's your mission. Just like God in 586 sent his people to live in the city of Babylon, God has sent you here to live in your community, in this city, Covington, Cincinnati, to carry out the same mission, which is to make him known. And to do that in your workplaces and where you live, Charles Spurgeon said this. He was one of the greatest preachers um, in, in London in the 19th century, and he said this, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either a missionary or you're an imposter, meaning he's saying, If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. You cannot separate the two. You have a purpose. You've been sent. There's a reason why you work at the place where you work. There's a reason why you live on the street where you live. There's a reason why your neighbors are your neighbors. That's not by accident. God's put those people there. He's put you there. So in some ways, the church is really one big missionary family that's been sent, and particularly Living Church sent, to this city, to this area, to this community for the purpose of making Christ known. So we have been sent. We've been the missionaries, right, where you make the little prayer card, right, as a missionary. At least in my church, that's what we, you know, we kind of did. We went with an organization and take a picture of your family, put it on a prayer card, and then by the people pick it up, put it on their refrigerator, and it's a reminder to pray for the missionary family. Are you tracking you guys know what I'm talking about? Listen, each and every disciple here, you have your own prayer card. You have your own missionary. What we should do is just get a Polaroid camera, take a snapshot of you and your family or whatever, and then you take it home, put it on your fridge, and start praying for yourself because you are a missionary sent to the people that God has you living among. That's the point. That's what he's saying. God sent his people, and he's done. he did this in 586 B.C. He's doing it now. This is the way God does it. This is the way God transforms. He sends his people. He could do it any other way. He does it because he's like, I want you to experience the joy. In Luke chapter 10, read it later. It's so cool. These 72 disciples, they go out and they start praying, right? And they go in the homes and they're doing all this stuff. And they come back and they go, Jesus, you are not going to believe this. Demons submitted to our names. (laughs) I mean, there's like, we saw God do crazy stuff when we told people about God. He's like, Go figure, right? And it's like, and, and it's some, they say we came back and they were so filled with joy. And you know what Jesus' response is? It says Jesus was filled with joy. 
There is joy waiting for us as His people as we move out sent, living as missionaries among the people. And that's why He wants you to experience it because it's for your own joy and for His joy. We're sent. If God's going to transform our city, He's going to do it by sending His people to live and work among the people of the city. Second observation. God transforms a city of people by sending His people to seek the peace of the city through the gospel. i got to cruise. I feel like I'm cruising now, but we got to roll. All right, so here we go. So he says, I want you, okay, you're in the city there. You're doing this. Here's what you're going to do. While you're in the city, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. And if it prospers, what? You too will prosper. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew language, in the Hebrew. And there's one word that's used three times to describe peace and prosperity. It's the same word. The Hebrew word is shalom. So we could read it this way. He says, I've sent you also, while you're in the city, I want you to seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it experiences shalom, you too will experience shalom. What's shalom? Peace. All right, for us, it's kind of like the absence of conflict. But the Hebrew understanding of shalom was so much bigger than just the absence of conflict. Shalom, Hebrew shalom, has this idea of completeness, satisfied, being at rest, being in harmony with all your relationships, being at harmony and at rest with God. It has this sense of being healthy and whole. And and it was used as a greeting, and, and so Jews would approach each other and say shalom. But it has so much more meaning to that. It means being at peace, being at rest, being at harmony in your relationships with other people and vertically in your relationship with God. And is that not what people in our city need. They're begging for unity. They're begging for rest. They're begging for satisfaction. They're begging for, how can we solve this reconciliate? How can we reconcile with one another? How can we bring all this stuff together? They're longing for shalom. They want shalom, and they want it horizontally in their relationships with other people, but what they don't understand and what sometimes we forget is this, will, this shalom will never happen until this shalom has been taken care of. And that Jesus is the fulfillment of this shalom. He is, Jesus is shalom. Jesus is the one that when you surrender your life to Jesus like Lee did last Sunday, when you surrender your life to him, Jesus comes in because he's shalom and he puts you at rest. He makes you at peace with God. He's the one that makes you know that your identity is now in him. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to try to find your identity in your work or other people, being a good dad, being a good mom. Your identity is in Jesus He satisfies you. He is the shalom. Jesus himself said this. He said, in me, you may have peace. Shalom. If you were to translate that Greek word, peace, into Hebrew, it would be shalom. So he's saying, in me, you have shalom. Paul said this. He said, he, Jesus, is our shalom. Isaiah, the prophet, said this. He's the prince of peace. He's the ruler of shalom. If we are going to see shalom experienced in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our city, it's going to happen because of Jesus. It's going to happen when this, our hearts, become whole, W-H-O-L-E, in the soul. 
And that happens when Jesus comes in and Jesus rescues us from our sin. But the big problem with shalom is sin. That's the problem going on in our hearts. There's a problem going on in our city. Sin prevents shalom, and there's only one person that conquered sin. His name is Jesus. So then it makes sense then in that if we want to see sin conquered and shalom experienced, we need Jesus to come in and conquer sin in our city. And that's why it's up to us, meaning Jesus has sent us into the city to bring shalom as we share the gospel with people. Listen. We need to be all about seeking social justice in our city. We need to be on the front lines, feeding the homeless, taking care of people, doing all those different things, packing meals. We need to be on the front lines, okay? But until people experience the shalom with a relationship in Jesus, until this happens, this in our city will never become a reality. It won't. If we never get around to telling people the gospel, telling people that they really need, need and can be at peace with God, we may be looking like we're bringing shalom to the city, but we're really not bringing them full shalom because we're not telling them how they can have their heart at peace with God. This horizontal shalom in our relationships in our neighborhoods will never happen until per- people personally receive the person who is shalom the person of Jesus Christ. Cam Roxborough, my friend, he said, we've got to move from just practicing to proclamation. We have to move from just practicing to proclamation. We've got at some point, as we're serving and meeting people's needs, loving our neighbors as ourselves, tell them that they have a heart need and that they're sinners and that they need to repent and there is a person who can satisfy their soul. His name is Jesus and he made that possible on the cross and through his resurrection. That's what we have to tell people as we're serving them. It's both and. It's both and. We have to serve them. Serve them. That's what Jesus did. He served people, and as he was serving people, he was telling them, hey, don't tell, them, tell them this. The kingdom of God is near. You need to repent. You need to come to know Jesus so you can experience heart shalom. If Jesus, the gospel, is the only way for a city to experience true shalom, then at some point we've got to get around to proclaiming the gospel. Not just practicing it, but we also have to proclaim it and share the source of true shalom, Jesus, with our neighbors. And so here we go. Okay, we're like, all right, Jesus, you've sent us here. We're in our city. I'm here for a purpose. I know that the purpose is to bring shalom and, and bring your shalom, your peace, tell people the gospel, and because that way they can experience peace with God and they can experience peace with mankind through the gospel, through you, Jesus. And then Jesus goes on. God goes on. He says, Here's, there's, there's something else here. He says, as you're there building houses, I want, seeking the shalom of the city, living the gospel out, I want you to pray to the Lord for it. I want you to pray for your city. That literally means to intercede, step in, appeal, and beg, and intervene. And I'm going to ask the band to come at this point. We go ahead and, and get in place. We're going to sing our final song here in a minute. And Jesus instructs his 72 disciples, I referenced this earlier, right? That he says, I want you to ask the Lord, of the, this is so cool, I, I want you to ask the Lord to send labors into the harvest field. And then what's Jesus' next word? Go. <laughs> he's like, okay, I want you to pray for missionaries. And then he's like, Go. You're, you're the answer to your prayer. Go. I'm sending you. All right? Don't wait for someone else to love your neighbor. They're your neighbor for a reason. Don't wait for the person to love the person next to your cubicle. They're next to you in your cubicle for a reason. All right? You're there. God sent you there for a reason. That reason is to proclaim shalom through the person of Jesus. So did it work? Right? 
Did anything happen in Babylon as a result of God sending his people there, seeking the shalom, living the gospel, and praying to the Lord for it? Did anything happen? Go to the book of Daniel. Go to the book of Daniel. We've been listening the past two or three Sundays of different stories, people's life stories of the transformation that's taken place. Daniel chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's life story. It's his life story. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Some people wonder, did he really come to Christ or not? I believe if reading Daniel and knowing and reading, I believe he did. I believe there's true heart change. Why is that? Because earlier when Nebuchadnezzar looks at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego untouched through the fiery furnace, he recognizes their God as their God. He says, I want you to now worship the God of these guys. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, it's all personal. This is my God. I'm exalting him. He's mine now. I have a relationship with him. So God's, when, when he sent the exiles into Babylon, he sent four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who did not engage themselves in the sins of the city. They lived as followers of Jesus in that city. They prayed for the city. How do we know that? Because they would have gotten this letter and known to pray for the city. So when it talks about Daniel praying, one of his prayers is, God, I pray for you to turn the heart of the king. I pray for you to do something, something, something in, the, in, in our, our city. Guarantee you that is one of the prayers. And then as a result of them living Christ and making Christ known, what happens next? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in the fire furnace. We're not going to bow to your gods. They come out and scathe. Nebuchadnezzar is going, to, okay, you guys need to worship their God. And then something else happens, and Daniel, God uses Daniel to become a, a worker in the office. I mean, basically, Nebuchadnezzar hires Daniel to be part of his work, work team. And then here you have Nebuchadnezzar saying this, verses 1 through 3. He says, To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. Verse 2, It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then at the end of the chapter, verses 37 and 38, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, me, personally, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. And that's the last word we hear from Nebuchadnezzar. Did God use his people by sending his people into the city to seek the shalom of the city by sharing the gospel, by living as strangers in the city, claiming Christ, proclaiming Christ? Did it work? It changed the heart of the king. It changed the heart of the king. If God wants to transform our city, he's going to do it exactly the same way he's always done it. You and I have been sent We have been sent, and we've been sent with the gospel which brings shalom to the heart and to the relationships among us. And now it's our time to pray, and that's what we're going to do next Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., Lord willing, you're going to step outside your home, and you're going to start praying that God, through his son, through the gospel, through his people, would bring shalom through Jesus Christ to the neighbors we live among and the people we work among. Stand with me. And let's sing this song as a declaration of who God is and what he desires to do in our city.